Hello and welcome to Sunday Messages with Fairmount Friends Church. We're so glad that you are joining us. You can find out more on www.fairmountfriendschurch.org. Here's Pastor Brock Meyer. Well, hey, we've got a special group with us this morning, and we want to recognize um, our basketball team, and this is representing from our C team, JV, and varsity. Some of those guys are here. Also, some parents are sitting out there as well, which is kind of cool to see them joining us. And Coach Kevin Cherry is here as well. Ted is up here. I don't know if we got any other of our coaches. But I would love for those guys to come on down. If you guys could just join us, stand here in the front of the church. And, uh, and Coach, if you could join me up here on the stage, love to have you guys join us. Give these guys a little woo-woo, right? break it right here and y'all just join us here on this side perfect yeah perfect and coach cherry if you want to join us here are we live red is red is dead red is alive all right you're alive man um yeah yeah step up just a little bit here um and so this has been a season that has, there's been a lot of change from what's happened in our last season to this season, although most of the faces um, have been the same, one specific face has changed, and it's this guy standing to my left, um, and there's been a lot of things that he's added to these guys as young men, he's added to the culture of a program, and we just wanted to kind of bring the team here at the end of the season, recognize them, and we do this at the end of every season, just kind of recognize our team, um, but also just want to recognize you, and would love for you to maybe just say whatever you want to to our church family, because we've been praying for you, we support you guys, and anything that you want to say maybe to our community. You know, I'm a lot more comfortable talking if there's a dry erase board <laughs> or a chalkboard or something right behind me, and these guys up here are sitting right here in front of me. So um, I really am humbled by those remarks. Um, we got to clear this up, too. Is it Pastor Meyer while we're here? Can I call you Coach Meyer? It's, or? it's Bishop, usually. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh... No. But Co- Brock Meyer has been a huge asset. Let's just go with that, yeah. To our program, and I'm humbled by those words. Thank you very much. When I was thinking about coming up here, um, I was thinking about our team, and then I saw some faces in the crowd, and I saw some student athletes from Madison Grant as well. And so I just want to take just one quick second to recognize them, specifically Brad sitting here. Are there any other student athletes in in the crowd here? We also got. We also have AC, who's not AC? who's not here today. Oh, but, he's, okay. Yeah. Alex Kretzinger. Also. Well, I only say that because we're going to talk, I guess, a little bit about the basketball team today. But for those of you that know student athletes that represent Madison Grant, I just have to commend our entire uh, administration, coaching staff of all sports. I can assure you that the student-athletes that represent Massa Grant in our community are some of the finest kids that you will come across. And just rest uh, assuredly knowing that your your community is in great hands with your future leadership of those student-athletes at Massa mm-hmm. Grant. Um, you know, oftentimes a coach gets too much credit 
when things are going well and you're winning. And oftentimes, he gets too much of the blame when things aren't going well. And when I was fortunate enough to receive or got offered this job and, and took it, I really wanted to come in and create a culture of our student athletes buying into being a part of something bigger than themselves. And that was really my number one goal uh, when I became the boys basketball coach. I didn't want to get wrapped up in winning or losing because that really doesn't define us. And that was the message that really those guys got before every game, that regardless of what happens tonight, that this is not going to define us. And we talked about that after our, our uh, unfortunately, there's only one team in the state that will win their last game. And we're not that team. So um, our last game, that was one of the, our primary message was tonight does not define us. Um, the other thing that's incredibly important to mention is as a first year head coach, how important it was for our seniors to buy into the culture that we were going to try to establish. And without them doing that, you never know how things may go. Um, these guys, these six seniors, have played in the program for four years. Um, they've been through a lot of things inside basketball, outside basketball. And, you know, they really set the tone initially with my, with my very first day, just their work ethic, the way they led others by example. Um, I'll always be grateful uh, for those six seniors and what they did for our program. Mm. They're going to leave a legacy at that school by becoming the first team in school history to be the outright CIC conference champions. Yeah, come on. Which is, you think about the level of basketball that's played in that conference and the coaches and players, that is a tremendous accomplishment. They're also going to be, uh, I think they're going to end up one-tenth of a point from being the all-time, um, I'm not going to say greatest defensive team, but their defensive average, we're going to end at 49.7. The all-time record is 49.6. So they're going to finish as the second-best defensive team in school history. The other thing that I want to mention about the character of our team and the culture is we did uh, exit interviews last week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We still have a few. Still have a few. Sorry. Um, we still have a few that we needed to do, but some of the awards that we voted on were, and I don't want to kill the surprise here because we'll announce the, the winners at our team banquet coming up. But one of the awards was the MVP award, and that's voted on by our team, by their peers. We had multiple players receive MVP votes, but it's the first time in 15 years of being as a, a varsity basketball program where the team manager received an MVP vote uh, as being a part of the team. <laughs> that's awesome. So that, that, I think, just speaks to a really high level of what these guys, yeah. and I've only been here a short amount of time, but I can, it only, it's a direct reflection of their parents and the families that they come from, that they've been brought up in such a manner and they've been raised in such a manner that it really made my job a tremendous joy this year to coach. I'll just finish up with the community support. It's a strange time that we're in for sure with a global pandemic and COVID.
and I wasn't able to get out and meet a lot of people like I had hoped, and I hope that changes over the next year. But just the support on social media, the messages that we get, um, our administration, our athletic director, uh, you know, he said, hey, got a message from so-and-so, just this or that. It's really been, again, humbling as the leader of the boys' basketball program to receive that kind of feedback from the community. So I just want to finish up by thanking each one of you and others that aren't here for being, uh, being big supporters of Master Grant boys' basketball team. Thank you. That's awesome, man. That's great, Yeah, perfect. Awesome. Yeah, guys, go ahead. You guys can have a seat. Thank you for joining us this morning. You know, you, uh, there's times whenever there's a big hire that needs made in a community, and it's good when you nail it on that hire and uh, don't want to hit a redo. And uh, I think that Madison Grant nailed it whenever they brought in Kevin Cherry. Um, I'm wondering if it's possible, and I'll ask Dan and Todd, if it's possible that we could, like, Bishop Kevin Cherry this morning, so he's not just a coach, but also he could have some spiritual authority. No? Okay. <laughs> Called an audible on that one. Um, that's why he never lets me with a dry erase marker at the board. Um, yeah, I don't get near that thing. I only get close to it if he wants me to erase something. I can never put anything, add anything on there. Um, but man, what an honor. And I've told Alyssa this. I, maybe I've told a couple other people, but some people coach because they just really enjoy basketball. And so they want to give back to their school. They want to give back to their community. And they just enjoy basketball, so they'll coach. Um, and then other people are a leader. And there's a huge difference between having an interest in something and then truly leading young men. And that's also where I'm going to go with our message this morning um, as we talk about King David and the life of David. Isn't it wild that this weekend represents one year of coronavirus as far as it being the public pandemic? It's our coronaversary, if you will, um, one year already. And it's fun to start getting some of our church family back. It's awesome to see the Davises sitting back there. I love seeing you guys. Um, it's great having candy um, here, and maybe there's others. I'm trying to think if there's any others that we haven't seen in a while. Um, but I love the fact that we're getting the family back together. Also, we've got Quentin sitting back there on spring break. What's up, brother? Good to have you, man. Um, but with this in mind, as we've been talking about our team, I want to come to you this morning with our message, and we're going to look at the early life of King David. And as we look at this early life of King David, Coach Cherry, I see so much of King David in you and in your life. And so even as I talk about this message this morning, I'm going to kind of reference you and also our team. Um, and King David is like, there's only one person that the Bible talks about on the same amount of text of Jesus Christ, and it's King David. So no pressure. But I'm going <laughs> to liken you unto this guy. So we want to talk about getting a vision for impact and to have a vision for where are you at in life. So just do a quick audit, do a quick assessment. 
your age, kind of your influence, who's your circle, who do you get around, who are the people that you see often, and to what degree are you making an impact on those people around you in word, in service, with your hands, with your, with your feet, with your mouth, whatever those areas of impact are. And then audit it and see, am I maxing out the most impact that I can be making with my life? That's where we want to go this morning. In Proverbs chapter 28, I'm sorry, in chapter 29 and verse 18, it says, Without a vision, the people perish, but happy is he who heeds wisdom's instruction. And so without a vision, we just perish, we kind of meander about. Another way that this scripture is, is read, it says, Without a vision, the people cast off restraint, but with the vision, the people will be restrained and focused. And so when we've got a vision, and we can make it clear, and clarity is king, and when we can write the vision and we can make it clear on the walls, then we can see it and run after it. One of the things that Coach Cherry did this, this year is he put up some cool quotes in our locker room. And there's, it's just kind of some, it's a new day, and there's, there's kind of some fresh mottos, and, and so much of it is about sacrifice, selflessness, service, laying your life down for the guy that's next to you, right? That's just kind of the new Madison Grant motto mentality is this way of service. And when you see those words constantly before you, eventually they start permeating the spirit, right? They start ingraining down deep. At the end of practices, we break down every practice and he goes over, not just what did we do, did we dribble the ball right, did we make a good chess pass, but these characteristics. There's a certain standard at which we want to play, and I would just encourage you, there's a certain standard at which we want to live. And to the degree that we're committed to that standard of living, I believe that fruit is the byproduct of excellent living, or excellent living equals solid impact with our lives. Whether it's on a basketball floor, it's in a locker room, it's in a classroom, it's in the boardroom, wherever we are, there can be impact for us. So we look at this life of King David. King David had been anointed, but not yet appointed. He was anointed king, and yet his time to become king had not yet happened. And it happened early on in his, in his playing career, if you will, where he is anointed by the prophet Samuel that he will eventually become king. And the people of Israel, we see during this time, had been like clamoring for a king. Give us a king. We want to be like all of the other nations. And God keeps responding, no, I want to be your king. Let me lead you. And you don't need any other king. I'll be your leader. And they said, no, you're, that's a good idea. I'm sure you're a good leader, God. But we want our own leader. We want this thing fleshed out where we can see him. And so they fought with God. They wanted a leader. They wanted a leader. And as we talked about last week, they, they, they first put in leadership in the form of judges. And they started putting these judges in place. And after a while, we got bored with that. And we said, we want a king. And so God gives them King Saul. And King Saul was reigning and ruling. The Holy Spirit was upon King Saul, and he was doing awesome things until there was this great battle that nobody wanted to go to. And perhaps you've heard of it. There was a little shepherd boy by the name of David, and he wasn't the first choice because there were eight brothers, and David was the last in line. And King Saul comes to Jesse, and he says, do you have any sons that can go to battle? And he goes, here's who I got. These are the, all the ones that are already in the army. And he's like, these won't do. There's got to be another boy. Who's your boy? And so he sends this shepherd boy. And he's kind of red and ruddy is what the Bible says. He was rough, red, and ruddy. And he comes walking up here, and, he, and he's bringing his brothers some sandwiches at the war, which means that the war was kind of casual, I'm guessing. There wasn't like bombs flying, but hey, guys, here's, here's a peanut butter. Who wants the ham and cheese? 
Who wants the bologna? And he's delivering his sandwiches. All of a sudden, Goliath comes out. Who will fight me? King David says, I will. I'll do it. I'll show up. I just had my sandwich. I'm ready. Got a little yogurt pack. I'm set. I'm ready to rock and roll. And so he shows up with a slingshot to a sword fight and full of faith in God. And he has this unbelievable, powerful encounter where God comes upon him. After that, his name becomes monstrous. I mean, he is on the cover of the Chronicle Tribune every week, guys. I mean, it was a big deal. And he's quoted, and he's, he's like, God, this big deal. His picture's in there, right? And it says that all of the people were yelling, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed 10,000. He became legendary, right? Maybe he got too much credit for the win and maybe too much... Uh, credit for the loss, I guess. But he, his name becomes big, and it says that the women of the city, they were fainting over David. <sighs> Saul's killed a thousand, but David, he's killed ten thousand. <sighs> I would love to be with this murderous sort of guy, right? He's just savage. But girls like the bad boy, right? So David comes rolling up in there, still holding Goliath's head, Ugh, right? He comes, comes rolling up in here, and Saul all of a sudden shifts his heart from loving David to despising David. He, at one point, was the coach, but a new coach comes in, and we don't like him. Ugh. He's leading the team, and everybody's following him, and the crowd is all about this guy, and it was just, it was crazy, right? And so David, who was friends with the family, not only was he friends with the family, he was in the family, because once he took down Goliath, he got to marry the king's daughter. Now he's a son-in-law to Saul, and he marries Michael, and he's best friends with Jonathan. So he's hanging out, he's living there. And they're eating dinner one time, and King Saul is so ticked off, he throws a spear at David. He's wanting to kill him, and David now is on the run, and he's out of here. He takes off, and he sneaks away. He's all alone. He's by himself. And he goes to this place called the Cave of Adullam. And at the Cave of Adullam, we see this in Scripture. And it's in 1 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 1. It says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Pastor Paul Daugherty, he describes this journey of David like this. He says, God, I'm on the run. And I once was loved. I even had the blue check mark on my Twitter account. I was verified. I'm going to be a legend. This is going to be great. Everybody loves me. I've got all these followers. People are going bonkers over it. And now I'm despised. And they're blocking me and they're unfollowing me. What in the world is going on? And he sneaks away to this cave. He comes into this place of just loneliness. I don't know if you've ever been in these moments where life was really good. And then life got really dark. And something shifted. I was like, I thought it was all good, and I thought marriage was going to be amazing, and I thought my kids were going to be awesome, I thought this promotion was going to be the real deal, I thought I was going to have more money, and I thought whatever I, whatever I was thinking, and now I find myself alone, and it is cold in this cave, and I'm hiding out, 
and just hunker down, staying away. God, where are you? I've done everything right. And he begins to pen these psalms. And you can read in the book of Psalms, and it says, a psalm from David in the cave of Adullam. He's pouring his heart out. God, where are you? God, I've been faithful. God, I've done nothing but what you've asked of me. And then I lose. And God, I do it again, and I obey, and then I lose, and I get smacked for it. Where are you, God? And we see these wrestle moments in King David's heart. Perhaps you've been there. I've been there. At one point, even one of the scriptures says, my enemies are over my head. And they're marching over my head. It's a fascinating scripture. I want to show you a picture of the cave of Adullam. Just let me jump one here, Ian. Here's a picture of this cave. Here's the little mouth of the cave. And whenever David pins this psalm, he literally means the enemies are right here. They're looking for me. I'm tucked away in this little, the little cleft of the rock. But if I look up, there is King Saul and thousands of soldiers hunting me out. They're standing literally on top of the cave while he's hiding away in there. I know sometimes Jesus is the opposite of a good coach. Sometimes he doesn't get enough credit for the win, and he always gets blamed for the loss. God, you said that you would have. Why didn't you? God, you must have been asleep when this happened on my life. Were you on vacation? Why were you taking a break? Why were you not watching over this situation? If you were good, God, then you would have been here for, and we can just blame shift and go on and on and on. And we want to blame the ultimate coach, that he didn't do enough. And here's where we find King David. King David moves from the season of cheers to spears to tears. His life goes from a mountaintop to the darkest cave and valley. I want to tell you this, that usually broken, not always, but many times broken usually precedes breakthrough. There's a humility that happens. There's a breakdown before the breakthrough. It's like humility hits. And I don't know if it's just a hunger or if it's a posture before the Lord, but God begins to do something different inside of our lives. And when we feel like we've got nothing, God is usually up to something. And I just want to encourage those that you feel like, I've got nothing left. I've got nothing going on. God's saying, hey, I've just got you tucked away. And it might seem dark and it might seem like you're in a cave and you're lonely, but hang tight. Because check this out. Here's the rest of verse 1. Verse 1 goes on. It says, When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Sometimes we need brothers to show up. Sometimes we need some fathers and some mentors in our lives to show up. Sometimes whenever you know what hits the fan and we make a phone call, we need our coach in our corner. We need a mentor to jump in the game with us. We need somebody that says, you know what, death is at the door. Or maybe there was abuse in our family. Or maybe this just happened. Or I don't know, whatever. And who am I going to call? And here comes that says they heard about it. The internet was really good during that day. And they got an email. They got a, they got a Facebook message or something. They had heard about David in this cave of Adullam. 
and, the, and their brothers were there, we're going to respond. Some of y'all know whenever you're in a pickle, you need your brothers, you need your sisters in that moment. Alyssa has kind of turned me on to this movie, Tombstone. Any fans of Tombstone out there? All the men said, Tombstone is this wild, wild west. It's about Wyatt Earp and his brothers and Doc Holliday. And so they come into Oklahoma, into Tombstone, Oklahoma, and it's the OK Corral, right? It's the shootout. And so the Wyatt, uh, Wyatt Earp and his brothers, they're going to bring peace to this whole community by reigning and ruling with a six-shooter pistol, right? They're going to set the West straight. And Doc Holliday is always the guy that's just looking for a good fight, right? And Doc Holliday, he doesn't do a whole lot right. He's kind of this drunken, he lives in a stupor, right? He just always has kind of like a, a wise crack to make. But he's the guy you want in your corner. Like, you don't want to be against this guy because you don't trust him. Even though he's your friend, you still don't trust him. But you definitely don't trust him because he's on the other team. He's that guy. And everybody needs a Doc Holliday in their corner. And so there comes this scene whenever they're going against the Cowboys that Wyatt Earp and the Cowboy, they're going to have this kind of shootout, right? And Wyatt Earp tricks, uh, I'm sorry, Doc Holliday tricks Wyatt Earp. And he says, there's no way that you can win this thing. And so Wyatt Earp is kind of like hanging, hanging tight. And Doc Holliday shows up to the gunfight instead. And he walks in. He says, I'll, you know, we're going we're gonna to have this shootout. And his line is, I'll be your huckleberry. Right? He says, I'll be your huckleberry. And sometimes we just need those boys that will show up in that time of need. I'm aching and I'm hurting. And where are my friends and my fathers? Where are they in this moment? Jake Stroop was telling me a story that in high school, he's running the football and it comes to fourth down, and he's running the ball, and the other team, they stop him, they tackle him. And, of course, there's a little bit of, uh, little bit of some, some chipper attitudes out there. And somebody starts trash-talking and says, we stopped you with some colorful language. And I'll let you Quakers, because you all are crazy like that, imagine what they were saying. And so they said, we stopped you, and they're yelling, just spitting at him. And in his stroop-like way, comes up, grabs the guy's face mask, and lifts it up. And boom, 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 puts three in his jaw, just throat punches the guy, right? Flags are flying, which means nothing, right? Whenever, what's, what's a piece of laundry going to do at this point? And everybody's like piling on, everybody's jumping. And his brother, Andrew, and they've got this on video. His brother, Andrew, throws his helmet, which is a terrible idea. Use that thing, right? Keep that helmet strapped down both sides, and he throws his helmet, and he takes off, and he catapults himself over the pile, jumps on, and he doesn't even know what he's doing. He's just, he's just swinging. Shane Carey was there. Shane, don't hide behind the camera. You know you were there. And he's going to defend one of his brothers, right? Everybody, we're all in. We're all in in this moment. If my brother is sucking wind, you better believe we need to be there in that moment. And church family, I want to encourage us that we would be there for one another whenever they're going through it. Whenever somebody is sucking wind, man, that we would be there for them. And maybe while you're chucking your helmet and you're running, you'll say, I'll be your huckleberry, and just launch onto that pile. There's something about it, I believe, that is kingdom, that's scriptural, that we want to stand in the gap when people are going through it. It goes on here in verse 2, and it says this, All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented, gathered around David, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. I don't know about you, but when I'm in my loneliest times, I don't want 
the down and out, the discouraged, the depleted, those that are in debt. I don't want them rallying around me. I need some life givers. I need some people that are going to speak life to me. And for whatever reason, God assembles this ragtag, ragamuffin group around King David. He's like, I didn't sign up for this. I wanted some loneliness. I wanted just to kind of chill out for a moment. And 400 weirdos show up. (laughs) Is that wild? And now he's got to do something with this crew. You know, we all kind of get into these things. You know, you married the girl, but you got the whole family. You know what I'm talking about. You get the whole package. Hey, I just want to like follow Jesus, but then I have to like deal with this whole church family thing. Life would be easy if it wasn't for all the people, right? And then I got to deal with people. And I would love to be a leader if people would just shut their mouths and just, you know, follow. You know, you don't want to be a leader. You want to be a tyrant. Just, you know, make them, you know, a dictator. But to truly lead... And to harness hearts and to coach mindsets and to rally with vision that's going to get us somewhere is what David now has to do. And before he becomes the king of the castle, he becomes the king of this cave. And he takes on these men that are just cave dwellers. They're just cave men, literally. They're just living in the cave and saying, God, you promised me a crown, but what you gave me was a cave. What in the world, God, you promised that life was going to be great when I started following you, and life has only gotten harder. This doesn't add up. This doesn't seem to make sense over the course of time. And I believe at this point, you've got to change your vision, or at least get God's vision to align with ultimately what matters. Maybe have a quick pivot perspective. And when we can pivot our perspective, we can see things a whole lot different. And so you know what? You might be in this season of life, and your job is, Todd, you're you're working at Chrysler, and I've got to do this, and here's the the vision, and here's the goals. I've got to pump out 100 units of whatever today. That's what I've got to do. And Bill O, you're an electrician. And so what do we got to do today? Well, we've got to rewire this house, and that's the goal. So I've got to set up some goals. I've got to do this room. I've got to do this room. I've got to do this room. Boom. I put in a new uh, electrical box. Vision accomplished. And you're whatever. You're a nurse and you're going to say, I got to pump out 100 units of whatever that is. I got to see this many patients and residents and I've got to deliver meds. And you do that for 40 years and you accomplish whatever the vision of that job was by establishing these goals. And I just wonder if we look back on our life saying, I did a job, but did I make an impact? Is a great question. Because if we're just punching a time clock, but we're not impacting people's lives, I would just maybe entertain the idea, have I wasted a little bit of why I'm on the planet? And God, let me not waste this thing. And even as a coach, I loved Coach Cherry's opening thing. He says that wins and losses do not define us. However, we've got a lot of goals. You know, we had a goal of winning the Grant Four, goal of winning the conference, goal of winning a sectional, all those goals. And he says, but at the end of the day, we got to pivot perspective. And we got to say, ultimately, We hope that we raise strong fathers. We hope that we raise great husbands. We hope that we have awesome community members. We hope that this loss teaches us awesome things. I'll tell you one of the first heartbreaking losses that we didn't accomplish a goal was the Grant Four. And so we're sitting in the cave of Oak Hill locker room. And we're hunkered down in the cave of Adullam, 
right? And so we're all in here together. And it's heavy. It's a heavy locker room. And Coach Cherry comes in, and instead of standing with a dry erase board at his back, don't let him fool you. He's smooth. He's good. He just sits down with the team, sits on the bench with them, and just lets the moment sit just for a minute. And then he begins to speak life in a way that I haven't heard a coach before. And he starts to say, guys, this moment does not define us. I'll tell you what does define us is our effort, our passion, the way we treat one another, the way that we live and we operate at a standard of excellence. That's the stuff that defines us, not a win or a loss. And nobody's walking out of here with your head low. Everybody gets their head up and he begins to lift heads and encourage hearts and put wind in their wings again. There was just a shift where we could have walked out of there and been crying on the bus, but we go back there and once we get on the bus, he says, yo, DJ, Lance, turn it up, bro. And so Lance starts dropping this beat, right? And we got some music going. And it goes from we, we are, you know, these 400 ragtag loser men to where we're dropping aloe black. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man, right? And that loss will not define us, but instead there's something else in the culture that will define us. This last weekend was Judah's 11th birthday. And for Judah's 11th birthday, we had a few of his buddies over. And I'll tell you, these were David's misfits right here. (laughs) I wanted to call them David's mighty men. We'll get there. Kurt, we'll get there, right? Hopefully, at some point. So they come over, and Judah's birthday gift was he got a, a, a Honda 125 dirt bike. And so he's just fired up and he wants to show his buddy. So they're coming over and we're doing dirt bikes and we're doing four wheelers and they're jumping and ramping and they're taking off and doing all this sort of stuff. Then we get them back home and we're going to do a cookout and a bonfire and we're roasting s'mores. And so Grady Hazley takes probably from his dad and he just takes the marshmallow, sticks it right into the heart of the fire. The thing is just on fire. He pulls it out, just cool, calm and collected grabs it. He goes, it's good that way. I'm like, no, it's not. It's terrible. No, you don't know. It's the best way. No, it's not. It's terrible. Yes, it is. You've never had it like this. And then we're arguing over how do you cook the best malo, and it was awesome. And the next thing I know, there's a ladder leaning against the roof of the house. They're climbing up the ladder over the, the rain gutter, running off the overside of the house, and they're launching, jumping off of the roof, landing on the trampoline. That was happening. Boom, bouncing. That was cool. No, I can go farther. No, you can't. Oh, yeah, I'm going to land and I'm going to do a flip. It was crazy. What was going on with these guys? They were at a whole other level. You should have been at the cave of the parsonage over this weekend watching these guys come together. But I'll tell you, there was this wildness. And whenever it comes, I'll tell you, there's going to be this brotherhood and they need a whole lot of fathers to step in the way too. That's going to help and coach and they're going to be this wild at heart. Let's go. Come on. There's something about this. I got a picture of these guys sitting on a four-wheeler. Check this out. This is what's up right there. That is how you get after life. But I'll tell you, in the midst of just raising kids, it's not just enough to, hey, get up in the morning and feed you breakfast and go to school and then get your homework done and then go to bed and then go to school and then get your homework done and go to bed. Let me tell you something. We, we might be, we, might be, we, we had sons, but we're going to raise kings, Right? And what was David's impact that he got this ragtag group? Here they are. I mean, just take a look at them, right? 
Some of these guys I got all the way back in junior high. I want to show you a picture of some of these seniors back in junior high. And I'll tell you, this is seventh grade, and all we did was win. And I mean that literally. We went undefeated. We never lost. We got a whole lot of hardware in this picture. Guys, can you find yourself in there somewhere? Let's go to the next one. Eighth grade, there was a whole lot more winning going on. Um, hey, check out Jackson Manuel. His backpack on with no shirt on underneath. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. Jackson just bare chesting it. We're going to walk out of here with a trophy in your face. And then here's our last picture together. This was after our sectional loss. And what was cool was after this, and this was another goal that was not accomplished. And I'll tell you, if you don't have the proper vision, goals that aren't accomplished leave you so empty. Because I thought it was, and I didn't accomplish. And I'll tell you, if you can't pivot a perspective to something so much higher, these losses seem detrimental. They seem huge. They seem monumental. Because my whole teenage life was about hanging a banner and putting up a sectional championship, having more hardware. And if that's what it's all about, you have missed it. I thought it was just about winning. I thought it was just about whatever. Not realizing that I got some amazing men around me that want to pour in to me. And you want to see the impact of what David did with these 400 ragtag groups? It's pretty amazing. The Bible goes on and says there's 37 men that are listed in Scripture that come out as David's mighty men. The being great warriors that David raised up. It specifically talks about the 30. And then even more specifically, it talks about the three warriors that David raised up. I just want to use this as a point. Is work with who is with you. Work with who is with you. And you might wish that you had a dream team. And you might wish that you would have you know, been in the king's palace. And you got all these kings standing around you. And you got this stud staff around you. And it just might not be reality. You might have a lot of flawed people around you. But just work with who is with you. And David gets to work. And his success rate is less than 10%. 37 out of the 400 become stud muffins. And they lead in the army of David. And these guys are killing lions and bears and giants. These are like Abishiah. He's the guy that kills 300 people at once so that David can get a drink of water. Isn't that cool? Coach, we don't even have a key to get into the refrigerator to get you a drink of water. I mean, it would take, you know, we got to do a lot just to get Coach a drink of water. But can you imagine? David says, man, I'm kind of thirsty. Whatever it takes, we're going to bust the enemy lines and get him a drink of water. Or you got somebody like, like Benaniah who chases a lion to his death and takes the lion's throat. I'll tell you, David raises up some people that are a whole other level. These men sitting here are going to be our future leaders. And Coach nailed it. He says, our community's in good hands. And I love hearing that. Why? Because there's been more intentionality, not just to teach them how to dribble or to make a two-handed chess pass, but to how, how to lead, how to be good fathers, how to lead in their families. Come on, surely there's a higher goal. We've got to pivot our perspective to something much higher. And that is what it is about. And I'll close with this. Wherever you're at right now, perhaps there was a ton of hope and potential that was never actualized, and you've just kind of been left into the, to this cave. Maybe you feel broken 
and lost. And you're like, God, why is it so dark and lonely in this cave? And God, why are all the people around me not able to help? They just make life harder. God, I need a breakthrough today. And I just want to encourage you that there are brothers and there are sisters, there are fathers and there are mothers in this place that want to come rushing in to whatever season of life that you're at. But I also encourage you with this, that no one is a Notre Dame, no one is a mind reader. They might not know that you're going through it. Just communicate. This is where I'm at, and this is what I'm going through. And can you help? Because we want to jump in right where you're at. I want to pray for us as a church family, that God would persevere through whatever season of life you are in. Whatever the darkness is, there is light. He's the lighthouse of hope, and he wants to be, be all things in this season of life to you. Would you all stand with me this morning as we close? One of the things that happened after our sectional loss, and this is so cool, is how many of y'all know Shauna uh, Beamer, our, one of our uh, custodians? Yeah, one of the custodians on the MG staff. All of us coaches are standing outside the locker room, and she comes up and... We don't really have a whole lot to say. We're kind of out of words at this point. Shauna's not out of words too often. And so she comes up and she's saying, you guys are awesome, you guys did it. And she said this, she said to Coach Cherry, she said, these boys needed you. And his response was, I needed them. I don't know whatever caves you've walked in, coach, but these boys have jumped in your cave with you, and here's our group, and we're grateful that you've led us. We're grateful that you have been on this journey of producing something. And I'll tell you, David needed these men probably more than he knew. And I'll tell you, we're all in the cave of Fairmount Friends right now, and I just want to say these three words, I need you. I need you. I might be a leader here, but I need you to help me in so many ways. And if it wasn't for a church family, I don't know how we would get through. And so many things in life. Jesus, we just lift up every cave before you this morning, Lord. And God, I just pray that in our dark seasons, these dark nights of the soul, where we're lonely and we're abandoned and we feel left out. Oh, God, would your presence be real? And would you send some brothers? Would you send some fathers and mothers in our biggest time of need? For some of you, you've got that ragtag group around you, and I want to encourage you, work with who is with you. Never doubt the little engine that could. They might be the biggest warriors. They're going to surprise you. They're going to come up. You've given up on your son and you've given up on your daughter and God would say, don't, don't do it. They might, they might be dejected and despondent and discouraged and in debt. Don't give up on them yet. There's still a mighty warrior inside. Lord, I just pray that we would pivot our perspective, that we would gain altitude in the way that we see things. And God, that we would bring a massive amount of leadership to those who are around us, that we would make an impact with our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So we're so glad that you were with us today. You can subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or your preferred podcasting app. Be sure to rate us so other people can know about the podcast.